Our speaker this evening has been a friend of the Davy family since 1990. He's known Stephen and his family, his Stephen's folks and Stephen's brothers. Dr. Jack Clem then has been ministering with the Davies for many, many years. He's a dear friend of their family, but he's also a friend that I've known across the years. God has used him greatly. He's dean of a seminary, professor of Old Testament, pastor. He's been recently a pastor of a church in Minnesota. And then God called him just this past year to become the president of Clearwater Christian College in Florida. He had an opportunity to minister with our student ministry this morning. He loves students. His wife, Kathy, is with him this evening, and I lost Kathy somewhere here. And so, Kathy, if you would stand, where are you somewhere in here? Where's Mrs. Clem? I'm sorry. There she is. All right. Stay standing for a moment, please. This is Mrs. Jack Clem, Kathy Clem, and this is Dr. Jack Clem. Let's welcome them to Colonial this evening, shall we? Well, this is a real joy for me to be here at Colonial. And as Dr. Burgraff mentioned, I was serving alongside of Daniel Davy for 14 years in, in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Daniel would always say, I'm like a bull in a china closet, but Stephen is smooth. <laughs> so if you've had Dan, uh, Daniel down here to, to speak, you'll know exactly what I'm referring to. But we've enjoyed ministry, and Daniel has been a, a wonderful friend. And Stephen, we we're getting to know him more in recent years, and it's just been a delight. Uh, Tim and Melinda, Dan, uh, Stephen's brother and Daniel's brother, who just went home to be with Christ. Uh, Tim and Melinda were sweet uh, co-laborers of ours when we did college ministry together, worked with a seminary there in Virginia Beach, and so uh, we've got a lot of good... So just sitting here, I'm, I have a lot of good memories of, of many good times together, and, and so it's a real joy for me to be with you this evening. You know, the questions that business leaders and academic leaders are being asked today are things like this. How do you plan to grow? Make more money, stabilize the finances, and reach more people, get new students, expand the donor base. What's your marketing strategy? My word, I'm thinking, man, I just want to parse a few Hebrew verbs. But the challenge I heard from one of our board members in one of those early kind of powwows that I had with them was this, you need to build a rocket ship, and you really don't have much time. I thought, well, that's encouraging. So, so how do you respond to all of this? How do you engage the process with some measure of integrity and conviction? And I'm really amazed at all the people who will call. And they'll, they'll call the college. They'll want to join with us so we can come to the promised land. You know, we've got, you get calls, you get people, you get into opportunities and, hey, let me just talk to you. I want a few minutes of your time, and I can take you to the promised land. They don't say it that way, but that's, in a sense, what they're saying. I'm also amazed at the programs and the partnerships that are available that offer turnaround success. And I'm challenged when I get those calls or I'm in those conversations with just the deep need for wisdom to be able to respond to all those different inquiries that come across my life in the course of a year. And although the college, although Clearwater Christian College is not the church, there's no verse I can turn to where Jesus has promised to build my college. Although the college is not the church, our ministry, the college ministry, must be shaped by the eternal elements that God uses to build 
and shape both the life and ministry of his plan and program. And you say, well, what are they? I want to know. I do too. What are they? Well, the book of Acts features key elements that advance the storyline of life and ministry. And I want to highlight those tonight. There are six summary statements in the book of Acts. But the storyline of the canonical book of Acts is very dynamic. It takes us from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world. In Acts 1 through Acts 6, we're in Jerusalem. Then we move from Acts 6 through chapter 9, and we're moving into Judea and Samaria. And then chapter 9 through chapter 12 revolves around the Gentiles in Palestine. And then the latter part of the book, chapters 12 through 28, carry us from the Jerusalem Council to Greece, to Asia Minor, and then into Rome. The journey narrated by Luke is not merely geographic. According to Ethel Wallace, the geographic locations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world, are really areas of social space. Luke takes us from the Jewish headquarters of Jerusalem to the Jewish people of Judea to the mixed population of Samaria to the, and ultimately to the Gentiles. This high-powered story is about how the resurrected Christ used his disciples to build a strong and a very healthy church. The true story of Acts unfolds in six divisions. You can mark them in your mind, chapter 6, chapter 9, chapter 12, chapter 16, chapter 19, chapter 28. The story is tied together then with six summary statements that focus our attention on the most important elements of this whole narrative account. Let me just read these summary statements to you. Chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Move to chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God continued to grow and to be multiplied. Acts 16, verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Chapter 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Acts 28, verse 31. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. My seminary professor focused our attention as students on key elements in these statements. Dr. John Lawler said there there are three references here in these summary statements to the Word of God, to the Word of the Lord. There are two references to the church. And in the progress of the story, the summary statements alternate attention between the Word and the church. The summary statements make use of verbs that refer to the idea of 
growing and increasing, being built up and strengthened and prevailing, action kind of words, dynamic kind of ideas communicated to us. These summary statements contain elements that are parallel to each other. The parallel subjects are the word and the church. The parallel verbs are grow and increase. And when we correlate these parallel elements, we can very confidently conclude this. The growing and increasing word results in the salvation of individual believers who become part of a growing and increasing church. The key elements in this dynamic story What drives the story? Why does the story of Acts continue? It's because of the Word and the church. The Word is that dynamic, driving element that creates believers, that creates the church, that grows and develops and increases. And so up to this moment, we have identified the structural device in the book of Acts, in the narrative of Acts, that helps us better understand the book's message. Now what I want to do is just take a look at some of the details in these summary statements and open up the larger context of the book of Acts to you and then ultimately to apply them to the routine of your life and of my life. Let's take a look, first of all, at the action words in this summary statement list. Let's take a look at the action of growing and multiplying as you see it here in these summary statements. The term grow, the term grew, as you can see, is found in Acts 6, 7, 12, 24, and 19, 20. This verb describes an action for us that continues over a period of time in the past. And Luke makes good use of this word, not only in the book of Acts, but also in his gospel, when referring to the growth of John the Baptist, he grew. To Jesus, to the lilies of the field, to the mustard seed, And then even he talks about this with reference to the Israelites in Egypt, how they grew and were multiplied. Grow is then coupled by Luke and under the Spirit of God's direction in the composition of this true story for us. Grow is coupled with the term multiplied in Acts 6-7 and in Acts 12-24. And multiplied like the word grow is presented as an action that takes place over a period of time in the past. And Luke, again, is very strategic in the way that he combines these words in the writing of this true account of the story of Acts. In Acts 6-7, it's the growing word in the multiplying disciples. You see it laid out even there. Growing word, multiplying disciples. He talks about how there was a growing and multiplying in Egypt of the Israelites in Acts 7, verse 17, referring back to Exodus Chapter 1, verse 7. He talks in Acts 12, 24 about the growing and multiplying word. But Paul, you see, Luke is not only the only one who uses this combination. You see it also used by the Apostle Paul when he talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, when he writes about how the Lord will multiply the seed and grow the harvest. The seed is multiplied. The harvest grows. And then even in the Old Testament, this combination is often translated, be fruitful and multiply. 
In Genesis 1, Genesis 8, the reproduction of human and animal life is, is used by this combination of terms to be fruitful and multiply, to grow and to increase. Even God's promise to Ishmael, Abraham's son by Hagar, was described in this way, by growing and increasing. After the flood, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and commanded him, grow, Noah, grow and multiply, be fruitful and multiply. Again, it's a, it's a very common way of describing God's covenant promises that he made with his people throughout the landscape of many Old Testament texts. Grow and multiply. Now, take a look at another action word or a set of action words in, in Acts 19, verse 20. As you see there, the word of God mightily grew and prevailed. And you see, what happens when I look at Acts 19, verse 20, what Luke is doing under the Spirit of God's direction is intensifying the statements of Acts 6-7 and Acts 12-24. And in the larger context of Acts chapter 19, we see that the Word of God is in control of the Acts storyline. The Word has power. The Word is prevailing in one of the most darkest moments of demonic activity. So actually, that statement in Acts 19 verse 20 comes at a very strategic moment in the storyline when it's dark and there's lots of demonic activity and you see God simply saying through the pen of Luke, the word of God grew mightily and it prevailed. Despite the demonic activity that was around it. So when we look at these action words... The terms spotlight the dynamic parts of the Acts storyline. The terms call our attention to how the storyline effectively moves forward. The terms capture our attention and cause us to reflect on how the story of our own life can move forward. And you see, I want you to make that appropriate connection with me along the way here. We're talking about ministry in many ways. We're talking about the church, and we're talking about the growth of the church and the advancement of the church and the multiplication of the church. We're talking about the triumph of the church. But we can't lose sight of these are the very same elements that drive your life and my life and move us forward in a very dynamic way. When you look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31, you see the action or the state of having peace, being built up, going forward, and also multiplication. And now we move attention from the Word to the church in Acts chapter 9. The church is the subject here in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Can you think about the storyline of Acts? What are you doing? What are you seeing in the book of Acts in chapter 9? Do you remember what's happening there? The conversion of, of Saul, of Tarsus, and after a period of persecution that was led by Saul against the church, and after the conversion of the persecutor, Saul of Tarsus, Acts 9.31 says, the church has peace. The church has peace. And this peace includes things like strength and growth in the fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit and expansion that is a very healthy 
kind of peaceful state. It's not just, okay, the storm has passed, but life is a mess all around us. No, when Luke reflects and he talks about what's happening at that moment in history in the book of Acts and in the storyline, he's saying the church had, was strong. The church is growing in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the church is expanding. It's amazing when you see what's taking place in this narrative. And then, of course, in Acts 16.5, you see the action of being strengthened in faith, increasing in number. I love this statement in Acts 16.5 because, to me, it, it talks about how the church is developing a firmness of faith. It's kind of like saying, man, the church had some grit and zest. There's a firmness of faith that's really becoming evident and much more characteristic of the church at this time. The church is gritty. The church has got some zest to it. The church is not going to be easily defeated. The firmness of faith that is spoken of here could be like the healing of a broken bone. I've never broken a bone. Maybe you have. I hope that's not a self-fulfilling prophecy. But when Peter healed the lame man... The scriptures use the same terminology and says his feet became strong. So you get the picture? A firmness, grit, zest, vitality, health, not easily defeated. Then Luke also talks about how the church is increasing in number. The church is being multiplied, Acts 9.31. The church is abounding. So what's the difference between a church that's multiplying and a church that's abounding? Pretty similar terms, pretty similar ideas, aren't they? Well, the church is made to grow in number and to thicken with disciples. You know, when I think about something that's multiplying and something that's abounding, I'm thinking multiply is we're growing in numbers, abounding is we're thickening with disciples. That idea. So the terms that are used here cast light on something that's being built, something that is surviving opposition. The terms really help us see what is so valuable, so costly to the creator of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, you see the act of obedience. Really interesting when you read that statement in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And I'm particularly interested in that last phrase where it says, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, the act of obedience. One commentator says it's estimated that there was probably a group of about 8,000 priests in Palestine. Some were rich, some were poor. But from this group of 8,000, plus or minus, a multitude of priests, now get it, a multitude of priests are obedient to the faith. Now, what follows and the New American Commentary points this out so nicely, this statement about the conversion of the priest is followed with Acts 7 that recounts the critique of Stephen of the worship of Israel. And so what you see in these very early chapters is simply this. The religious structure 
of Israel and the priest of Israel are being transformed by the word of God. The growing, multiplying, transformative word of God. And then you come to Acts 28, verse 31. You see the bold, unhindered act of teaching and preaching. So Acts 6-7 and Acts 28-31 give prominence to courageous response to the word of God. People obey it. People are boldly teaching and preaching and declaring it. Now, in the time that we have left, let's take a look at the actors, the word in the church in Acts and these summary statements. The word of God. It was growing. It was multiplying. Well, what are we talking about here? What is the word that is growing and multiplying? Well, if we were to do somewhat of a systematic look at the scriptures to understand and define the word of God, we'd say, well, the word of God is the person of Christ. John 1, 1. Uh, Wayne Grudem, the systematic theologian, says that the term word of God implies both the Old Testament concept of the powerful, creative word of God, as well as the Greek idea of the organizing and unifying principle of the universe. The word, it originates from God himself. It's, it's his word. It's his message to us. It's the glad tidings. It's the good news about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. The word is the Christian message. And it's growing in the storyline of Acts. What does it include? What is considered the word of God in the book of Acts? Well, if you were to look through these chapters, you would see that in essence, it's simply this. The word of God is Christ. The word of God is God's word to us about Christ. The word of God is his will declared to us. And it's growing. It's increasing. What's the character of this word? Well, it's the authoritative word of God. God is the author of it. God is the owner of the word. It is living. It is active. And you can't help but not think about Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and fable to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And then what about 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23? For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. So how did it grow? How did it increase? How do we understand that in the book of Acts? Since the word of God is living and dynamic, we expect it to be growing, increasing, and multiplying across the storyline. But how? In what way? How do we see the word expand? And grow and increase. Well, I think, you know, we might say, well, it expanded in its content. Acts was written around 62 to 64 AD, and there was a considerable amount of the New Testament yet to be written at that time. And as the word moved from Jerusalem to the uttermost part of the world, it specifically addressed the needs of people and the church along the way. The growth of the word, we could say, was canonical. It advanced and spread. This is the storyline of the Acts narrative. 
So when you see that, that summary around the hallways and on your, on your video displays and you look at it in printed literature over the, the rest of the weeks of this summer and you see the story continues, you have to think, yes, by means of the word. It's the word that drives this storyline. It's the word that gives it life and movement. So I would say there was an increased availability of the word of God as it moved across these geographic regions. It was available in more places to more people. God, in his wise providence, used and still uses his people to advance and spread his word. God used and still uses his people to advance his word. And he'll do it here in Cary. He'll do it here in Clearwater. He'll do it in Tampa. He'll do it up and down the coastline, across the United States, around the world. It's the word that when it's made available to more and more people, it dynamically transforms the lives of those people. Think about it. Chapter 8, verse 4, talks about those who are scattered. Those who are scattered, what did they do? They went preaching the word. Then you look at Acts 8, 14, Acts 8, 25. Peter and John took the word to the Samaritans. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. The Gentiles received the word. Those scattered, as we find in Acts 11, verse 9, were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, spoke the word to the Jews. Do you see how it happens? Do you see how the word becomes more and more available to more and more people across this geographic boundary? So the growth and the increase of the word is geographic. It converted and triumphed. How did it grow and increase? It converted. It triumphed. Luke uses this verbiage, these terms, in Luke 8, verses 4 through 15. This is the parable of the seed that highlights the dynamic power of the word when received by faith. One writer by the name of Codell says this, the seed is not dependent on the sower or on the preacher to produce growth. The seed is not dependent on the sower or the preacher to produce growth. In Acts, the word grows as it enters and fills more and more individuals. Everyone, think about it. And and I I just summarized in my note here that I'm going to read to you. I just summarized some of the highlights. But you could add more people, more names. Everyone from the priest in Acts 6 to the lame beggars in Acts 3, to the eunuch in Acts 8, to Saul in Acts 9, to Cornelius in Acts 10, to the Romans in Acts 28. Amazing what was happening across that storyline. D.G. Peterson says, Luke in Acts emphasizes the triumph of the word in the face of many difficulties and much opposition. These summary statements climax narrative sections and record resolution of conflict or the end of opposition and persecution. Think about Acts 6-7. Where does that come in the narrative? It comes after a struggle within the household of faith over the care of widows. Acts 12-24 is documented after persecution approved by Herod and his death. Acts 19.20 is placed after the demonic activity associated with the sons of Sceva. The summaries affirm the counsel of Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5, verse 30, 
9. You cannot overthrow the work of God. You can't. You can't overthrow it. It developed and strengthened the church universal. Churches local were the result of a growing and increasing word. The summary statements highlight a progression that moves from the conversion of priests to the church, to churches. Do you see that when you look over those statements? As you look at Acts 6, 7, it talks about the priest, and then the church, and then the churches. Again, Codell says the growth of the word materialized in the formation increase and development of community of people known as the church. See, when the word of God grows, what happens? Churches come into existence. So the word of God growing, the growing word is materialized, it's objectified in a body of believers, the church. The layout of the summary statements emphatically declare that the word is the agent that produces the church and not vice versa. The word is the agent that produces the church and not vice versa. The church does not produce the word. The word not only created the church, it strengthened the church. And you see in Acts 9 and Acts 16, a very strong, a very healthy church. It it enjoyed a season of undisturbed life. It was progressing in piety, devotion to Christ, growing in his word. It was able to balance a love and trust in the Lord along with a fear and dread of the Lord. It enjoyed the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It was growing numerically. It was growing geographically. It was healthy growth. So let me summarize and make the application to life and ministry. The summary statements of Acts focus our attention on the Word of God and the church. God gets things done in accordance with His Word. The story continues. God gets things done in the book of Acts by means of His Word. Evangelism, discipleship, church planting, church growth, and development are word-centered activities. The word must be the main thing in any great commission, ministry, endeavor. The word must also be the main thing in the routine of your life and my life if God is going to get anything done. The story of our life must be moved. It must be driven by the word of God. God, secondly, triumphantly gets things done through the power of the word. God gets things done in accordance with his word, but God gets things done triumphantly through the power of his word. God materializes and objectifies the dynamic nature of his word through a community of believers called the church. And again, Codell says this, salvation in Christ, salvation in Christ means belonging to a community of the saved. This is the church community nature of our salvation. You see, salvation reaches you, it reaches me, through contact with individuals. And salvation is never separated from a community of believers. A devotion of believers is to the word and to one another. 
See, you can't just accept the word and just say, well, I'm going to be out here. I'm going to be, I'm going to be an independent. I'm going to be completely independent of any community of believers. That's not, that's not Bible. That, that, that doesn't make any sense biblically or theologically. You can't come to that conclusion by reading the book of Acts. If you're going to accept the word, you're accepting the community. If you accept the word, you're accepting the responsibility to identify yourself with the community locally known as the church. You can't just be a member at large. You're part of the body. You're part of the community. The decision to believe, listen, the decision to believe is a decision to share life with believers. You see, the church, it's an insurmountable community created by God through the dynamic power of the word. It is the word that continues the story. Do you want to grow? Do you really want to grow? I mean, are you, are you just kind of fat and happy right now? Do you want to grow? Do you want to see things happen? Do you have a rocket ship to build? I'm, I'm trying to build a rocket ship in Clearwater, Florida. What's your rocket ship that you need to build? Then give the word and the church place and priority in your life and in your ministry. To God be the glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together to look at these things that are so valuable and costly and near and dear to your life and to your heart and to your purpose and plan for us. And Father, I pray that as we Think about just the simple layout of these summary statements that structure this narrative and, and give it life and keep it moving and, and highlight the importance of it. Father, I pray that we would see the value, the place, the importance of your word and the church in our life. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless the ministry of Colonial Baptist Church here in Cary as for many years it has given place and priority to the word of God. To God be the glory for that. Lord, may it have another season of continued devotion to Christ and to the Word and to His grace and to your church. And we'll praise you, Father, for it in His name. Amen.